All right, today we're in Genesis chapter 4, and this is Genesis class number 13. We will begin again at verse number 1. In Genesis class 12, we dealt with the issue regarding Adam and Eve and Cain being their son. We talked a little bit about some issues, uh, doctrinal issues uh, that have to do with that and uh, some assertions that's been made by other Bible teachers. We're not going to decide whether they're good Bible teachers or bad Bible teachers. We're not making any claims or any insinuations about that. But what we do want to uh, make clear is that we, we do believe what God said and that God said that Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And we believe that to be true, just as it said in the plain and simple English there. And so we left that in the last class. And in this class, we're going to pick up Genesis chapter 4 in a more contextual value. And so we'll get right into it. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. Again, this is class number 13. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was the keeper of sheep. Now notice there's one conception there, two children. I suppose that it's not out of the realm of possibility that Adam could have knew Eve, his wife, again, and she conceived again and bare Abel, verse 2. But I'm... Under the impression, just from the impression that I get from reading the scripture, that Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and she again bare his brother Abel. I'm assuming that the boys are twins. And so that would be very interesting that the first uh, conception and birth in the world would be twins. And that's a great possibility, and that's the way I see it. I'm not going to say that's a doctrinal fact. As I've already said, it's possible she conceived again and bore Abel at a later date. Very possible. But the idea of of twins in and of itself is a a great thought when we think about the the dual natures of a Christian. Uh, We talk about the new birth from John chapter 3. We consider in the Christian life, especially when you're talking about Romans chapter 7 or Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Both of those passages, Galatians 5, 17 especially, Romans chapter 7, verse 15 and forward. <clears throat> Pardon me, been suffering with a little cold. Uh, but uh, Galatians five seventeen, Romans chapter 7, verse 15 and forward. They tell us about a war in the flesh. Talking about men that are saved, men that are born again, still wrestling with the flesh. Uh, Men that uh, follow the Spirit and have a reward for that and certain things that you can reap from that and following the flesh and finding death and destruction. There's just no question about those doctrinal matters that that we know from reading and uh, having those things in the New Testament. But here it is, far back in the Old Testament, far back in our history, and we see that that uh, in this first conception with the possibility of these boys being twins, that from one conception comes two different thought processes, two different mindsets. 
And we don't need to get into the biology of, of how twins are made or any such thing as that. All we need to see is that uh, we're, the Bible says man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. But taking advantage of the new birth spoken of in John chapter 3, a man finds joy and he finds peace and he finds assurance and he finds hope and all these things. All these things are, are really present here in this idea of the first conception being uh, these men being born in sin, even though both the men were born in sin uh, because of Adam's transgression. The men certainly do represent two directions that men are going to travel from Adam's day and forward. You find men like Cain. You find men like uh, perhaps maybe people have used Nimrod or Nebuchadnezzar or Pharaoh as examples of men who were going away from God's principles and God's light and God's truth. Then on the other side, you see men like Enoch and Moses and Noah, <coughs> Abraham, certainly, Daniel. And in order to get to Abraham and or David, who was a man after God's own heart, though he had many faults and failures, or Lester Roloff, or any preacher that you might think is a good preacher. In order to get to that place, you had to have Abel. And from Adam, the original sinner, from Adam, the man who who ushered sin into the world and death by sin, from that man came a, a line of, of faithful men. I don't mean line in any uh, sense other than the fact that we have in our past examples of leadership examples of faithfulness and we have examples of unfaithfulness and and this is a great lesson that you can pull from Cain and Abel <coughs> again pardon me for the after effects of this cold but at any rate she again bare his brother Abel and Abel was a keeper of sheep but Cain was a tiller of the ground and in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the first things of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. Now, here in verse number three, in verse number four, I've heard it said this way, and of course you could, you have a right to think any way you want to about this. the The Bible doesn't, the Bible doesn't give us the advantage or the blessing of having every minute detail about these things. But you want to be very careful uh, in producing a law where there is no law. And the Bible makes it very clear in Romans chapter 4 that before Moses, there was no law. And so there was never a time where God came to, to Adam or to Abel or to Cain and said, Thou shalt make an offering, and it must be this way or that way. These men are making offerings, and you could say, of course, I don't... Sometimes I, I, I use phrases but I also recognize that out of this phrase you could miss the context of what I'm trying to say what I'm about to say is that Cain and Abel made these 
sacrifices by faith. And now, you're, immediately your mind's going to say, well, Cain didn't have any faith. And I would agree with you in that. I would agree that Cain was not a man of faith. I believe that Abel was a man of faith, uh, justified faith. The Bible even says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abel still preaches. And so I believe that there is a, a context of faith here. Now, Cable, uh, Cain, you might say, was acting out of self-will, doing what he thought was best. or what You could say a, a lot of things because there's not a lot of data here to to say concretely one way or the other. When I say, though, that, that Cain and Abel were bringing these offerings by faith, all I mean by that is that they're not following the dictates of any commandment. Now, you could easily go back and read into the fact that God uh, destroyed an animal and made clothing for Adam and Eve when they were naked, and that certainly is typical of God being a sacrifice, a life being taken so that a man could be covered in his spiritual condition. Absolutely. Those principles are there for type. Those principles are there for us to, uh, in our New Testament revelation. In New Testament light, we certainly do go back and see those things. But at the same time, the elements of the gospel that are present in the Old Testament, the Bible says those Old Testament people were blind to them. The gospel was not revealed to Cain. The gospel was not revealed to Abel. The gospel was not even revealed to the to the future prophets. I say future in the light of Adam's uh, perception. Adam's time point, his viewpoint, his place in the world. There was prophets coming down the road in later years after Adam and Eve and Cain. Prophets would show up and they would prophesy about the Lord, how he would come, how that he would die, how that his sacrifice would take away the sins of the world. And those things are not only prophesied by the prophets, but they are in picture form. And even these sacrifices here in Genesis chapter 4. The mindset that I want to get across to you is to be careful not to, to, to get it in your mind that God commanded these men to make these sacrifices because he certainly did not. And these things will be uh, apparent as we go on through the book of Genesis, but they will only be apparent, and listen to me, whatever you know about Genesis, you, I'm talking about you men that are alive right here in 2020. Whatever you know about the book of Genesis and the redemptive sacrifice of Christ that you can see in the animal that was killed to clothe Adam and Eve, you see that in the light of the New Testament. Adam did not have the light to see that. Cain didn't didn't have the light to see that. Abel did not have the light to see that. The Bible even says that the prophets desired to see and didn't understand the things that they were prophesying about themselves. They didn't fully see the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. 
that was in the sacrifices of Moses' law or that was in the, the prophecies that men like Isaiah would give about the future death of Christ. The Old Testament folks did not see that. The Old Testament folks did not look forward to the cross. They absolutely did not. Had they been looking forward to the cross, they would have certainly saw it when it came. And they did not. They didn't understand it. Even those that were that were gaining a certain understanding of the Scripture by being the disciples, the actual disciples of Christ, when Christ spoke of his future death, they still marveled and didn't understand. Not so, Lord, and I'll never let that happen to you. They didn't understand it. They didn't see it in the sense that you and I see it, taking advantage of the full revelation of the Scripture that we have. So my only point by spending all this time on that thought is don't follow the the similitudes. Don't follow the signs that were given in the Scripture from day one <coughs> to the point where they become doctrines and laws in the day and age of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, that God was dealing with these men just as you see it here in the Scripture. And had God said, now, I've killed this animal, I've clothed you with it, and from, from this day forward I require you to make sacrifices by this particular animal and or this particular amount of blood, and but God didn't give them that information. God didn't tell them to, God did not require a sacrifice at their hand. And you could say that you believe that he did all that you want to. But you're going to have to find a place between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 3-24 that says thou shalt do it. Because without that, you can't insert a commandment that's not there. I've even heard preachers talk about the, 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 the unvoiced command, talking about different contexts and different thoughts. But there, there, when, you, when you're dealing with something as important as a law, a law based on what God's will for man is, a requirement that God is going to hold a man accountable for after he's dead, after the man is dead, when you're talking about things like that, it must be written, it must be in stone. It, it, for God to require something of a man's soul after he's dead, it must be in writing. It must be expressed, and it's not here expressed, that God required these, these uh, acts of sacrifice that, that are being presented here in Genesis chapter 4. But what is clear out of this passage in Genesis chapter 4 is that <coughs> when a man is going to offer a sacrifice by his own free will, when a man recognizes that God requires something of him, many cultures that have pagan worship, uh, and I can say this with full assurance because Paul stood on Mars Hill and read the inscription to the unknown God, and Paul had no problem whatsoever saying, I'm going to explain this God that you don't know to you. They didn't have in their mind Jehovah. They didn't have in their mind 
Jesus Christ. They didn't have in their mind the Holy Spirit. They didn't have in their mind God the Father. They had something pagan in their mind. But they said it was an unknown God. They knew that if there was a God up there, he required something of them. And Paul was perfectly happy to step in and say, I'm going to tell you about this unknown God. And many cultures, whether they're uh, a pagan to the core or just mildly pagan, they recognized that, that they were made. The heavens have declared his handiwork. Add to that Romans chapter 1. There is, there is in the creation a power that preaches that there is a God and that he has a requirement of you and that there is access to God. This is preached by the creation itself. And that same wellspring, uh, that same function, whatever it is, I believe that's about the best word that you could use for it. There is a function in man that points him at, at his creator. That same function that works in, in uh, pagans of today and yesterday was working in the heart of, of Cain and Abel at this point. <coughs> Pardon me. And what, what you see taking place in chapter 4 is that one man uh, saw his need to, to give something back to that God and he offered it up. And to that man God said, well done. Another man brought what he thought would be an acceptable sacrifice to God and God said I don't want to have anything to do with that that's not acceptable he didn't at this point say to Cain get away from me don't talk to me anymore I'm not going to have anything else to do with you he didn't say anything like that uh, what God simply said was I do not accept what you just offered and that that makes this passage in Genesis chapter 4 one of the most disarming passages of scripture that you will ever read in your life. It says to you that no matter if you feel uh, depressed about it, no matter if you feel angry about it, no matter if you think God ought to accept anything that you cast his way, no matter if your grandmother taught you that whatever a man does, just, you know, don't judge him and, and, you know, just think of him as a man who has the best intentions and all these things. This is not the way God looks at things, and it's not the way God judges things. God looks at a sacrifice. God looks at the service of a man. God looks at the will of a man and uh, the man's actions that are based on those things. And God says, this is acceptable, or God says, this is not acceptable. Then a man responds to that, and how a man responds to that means everything about how God will deal with him in the future. Abel comes and he offers a sacrifice. It says that Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock. And God says, that's exactly what I'll take. I'll have that, I'll have pleasure in that. Cain brought of things that come up out of the cursed ground. And God says, I will have none of that. And then you can tie that as typology that you can see clearly because you have a New Testament. The, the cursed ground is not an acceptable sacrifice any more than the leaves that were growing on the trees that were growing out of the ground 
could not cover Adam's nakedness to a point where God was satisfied by it. <coughs> we see that not because God gave Adam a commandment to kill animals, uh, because even when you get to the to the Old Testament explanations of the law of Moses, he will say, you make this sacrifice, it's an atonement for your sin. Well, God would not give Adam that same commandment to make a sacrifice because God had made no provision for the atonement of sin at that time. The explanation of that is in the book of Romans. From Adam to Moses, death reigned, but their sins were not imputed to them. And so, now, at right at this point, I know heads are exploding, but study Romans chapter 4 specifically about this subject. Consider that in the New Testament, the Bible tells you that when Jesus died on the cross, he went and preached to the spirits in prison, and he defines who those spirits are. They were the people in the times of Noah who lived in disobedience while the ark was being prepared. That is pre-flood. That's Adam. That's Noah. Uh, that's Methuselah. That is the people who lived before the flood. They are not under the law. They're going to die because of sin, but their sins are not imputed. Jesus preached to them after the crucifixion. Now, that is a whole lot of theology right there. That's too much information to pile very much more information on top of. So we'll stop right there. We'll pick up the next time. All we basically need to carry away from this class, I mean, I hope you'll carry a lot away from it, but... The basic principle that we want to talk about today is that there is no law in Genesis chapter 4 that says bring this sacrifice or that one. And if you do bring a sacrifice, this is what that sacrifice is going to accomplish. God is not going to require a sacrifice that does not have an effect. So, all that you can say about this passage is that the sacrifice either pleased God or it displeased God. And it had absolutely no effect on whether they were saved, whether they were lost. Perhaps uh, what you can draw from, the, from that conclusion is that from this point on, had he lived, Abel could have walked with God. And that Cain would have had to walk his own direction because you see the condition of his heart. He didn't care what God thought about anything. And in that we find the obedience, we find the we find the the ability, contrary to what Calvinism teaches about the the deadness of a man, though a man be dead, uh, no matter what he tells you about the depravity of his will or whatever the case might be, these men brought these sacrifices of their own will. And when I, when I said earlier that they brought them by faith, it's in no sense connected to what we normally think of when we think about faith connected to religion. But I use that extreme terminology, taking the chance of, of that terminology mixing in your mind with what you already believe about doing something by faith. I took the risk of that simply to say 
This was something that was not done by a commandment. It was not done by a precept of God. In the fact that it was accepted or not accepted, that draws so many conclusions and paints such a great picture of a life of obedience versus a life of disobedience that will reign from Genesis to Revelation through the story of mankind, the history of mankind. Again, we'll start here again in the next class when we pick up. A lot of heaviness, I think, here, but it certainly is something that you need to consider. Now, when you've got New Testament revelation, you can see all the connections of these sacrifices, how they represent the death, burial, and resurrection, the, 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 principles, the principles of blood being shed for an atonement of sin. All those things are true and right in, in as much as they are, are typical of that. Uh, and the the bringing of atonement, the bringing of forgiveness. You will never do a work that produces forgiveness. That forgiveness is bought for us. Propitiation. Propitiation means the 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 payment that is made to to afford you now the favor of God. That will never be done by a work. It'll be done by by faith and in. The, the sense that it matters most, faith in the shed blood of Christ's sacrifice to atone for your sins. That's all well and clear. And we're talking about not just Genesis chapter 4 now, but the whole Bible in essence. But in the sense of a work that could produce uh, salvation in and of itself, it's so clear in type here that something you produce is not going to produce favor with God. Absolutely not. It must come from an external source. Something you had no hand in. And certainly, <coughs> Abel had no hand in the, in the birth, in the biology of that firstling that he sacrificed. That's something that God provided himself. God made that. And set, set its uh, nature in motion. And there's no question about that whatsoever. Uh, Cain himself, he put his hand to the plow, he planted, he sweated, he toiled, and, and what was what grew up out of the ground was a result of his work and of his labor. At, but Abel could have had that firstling born, turned it out into the wilderness, and it survived. It's just it's a different concept. It's it's a totally different concept. Had Abel planted a seed and walked away from it. The, the briars and thistles would have come up and destroyed it and pulled down his crop and made it unfruitful so that he would have had nothing to sacrifice. And anybody that's ever dealt in farming or gardening at all understands that concept. And I believe that concept was doubly so before the flood and we'll get to that when we get to the flood but here we're talking about symbolism typology of things that were certainly real and revealed in the new testament i think i've given you enough information to chew on in regards to that we might cover it a little bit more in the next class but until then uh, i think you'll have your hands full with this but anyway god bless you and we'll see you next time